I'm your host, Brendan. It's wonderful to have you all here again. Today, we are going to be joined by a special guest, Randy. What's up? How's it going, Randy? Oh, no, I'm good. So uh, we know we know Randy. For some reason, we work in a nexus of gamer people, right? I don't know how this happened. I don't know if our boss, Yona, who's also a gamer guy, I don't know if he set this up. But we work in a nexus of gamer people. I don't think I don't think the introduction of Randy was so much set up because, I mean, M- Michelle was only I mean not recently, but we're talking like his wife. I'm sorry for those who don't know. Well, was nobody only, knows Ben. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Was only hired like uh, maybe like a year ago or something, right? Well, she's a gamer person. She is. And she got introduced into this big gamer world of of skin actives where we all work. Where there's a hefty percentage of gamers, and so Randy's also a gamer, and you run the the game that you and your wife play in. Is that right? That is correct. Why don't you give us a little bit of background, man? Like, uh, like because uh, we're, we're you know we usually do this thing like what have you been doing in gaming? So we'll start with that. We'll start with yeah. that before we get to the to the, to the introduction. So Ben, what have you been doing in gaming? Well, uh, I think I mentioned last time that I've been playing more Magic, and that's definitely that's definitely kept going. Um, I am currently uh, studying up on the rules for Kuro because I plan on yeah. running that at Crit Hit, and that's coming up right pretty quickly here. It so is, it I, is. Con season is upon us, and uh, Leprechaun's gonna be coming up. What is it next month? No, no, next month. Leprechaun. Oh, Jesus! And then two weeks after that is Crit Hit. Wow, okay, so, we got a lot to do. Yeah, um, I'd like to take a time and maybe like just do like a quick run through of some some Kuro maybe. Sounds good. Uh, just make sure I know what the fuck is going on in there. <laughs> and uh, so, so when I actually like, you know, sit down with people I don't know and like, you know, run them through the game that it's not like a fucking miserable experience for you, them. You know, Adam um, from Shadow Sworn has been saying the same thing because he wants to run Gamma World. He's like, dude, I need to do this again because it's been a while. Yeah. Anyway, so what other than so Kuro and Magic and what else? Uh, well, I think that's a for gaming. That's about all I've been doing. We um, haven't played Infinity in a while. We kind of we. I think we're kind of waiting for um. HSN three to come out. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, at this point, like it seems like a whole bunch of stuff's gonna change, especially. You know, for those people who play like certain armies, like Brendan who plays Toha. Yeah. It's expected that his army changes quite a bit. Um. And I don't know. It's not like we've been kind of busy too. So like some I've of been the usual busy. times that we would normally play, we've kind of like glossed over with doing other things. It's true. Like this wonderful podcast. Yeah, indeed. Um, in terms of my gaming, we were supposed to play Vampire this last weekend, but then you weren't feeling well, and Heather wasn't feeling well. So we're gonna go ahead and get that going this weekend. I think you you game. You have some time on Saturday. Yeah. Yes, I do. Oh, okay, great. We'll do that. That's still the Arizona game, and I need to sit down and do a little bit more work on that. Yeah, we should also get together and like maybe figure out a time with Adam where we can like maybe run some Gamma World, and I can run some Kuro. And yeah, dude, let's let's do it because uh, I could definitely use. It's been a long time too since I've been behind the screen. You know, like uh, it's probably been like, <laughs> probably twenty years for you or something, right? Um, probably the last time I was definitely in my early twenties. I think so. At this point, like. Oof. Yeah, we're we're it's definitely old. pushing like fifteen years, sixteen it's a years. A little while. But it's not like I haven't gamed that time, so I know how it's supposed to go. <laughs> I think that's about <laughs> as long as I've been stuck behind the screen. See? There you go. So so Randy, okay. A little bit of background on Randy. We know we know you we know you run a very long running Pathfinder game, is that right? Very long running. Uh multiple campaigns, but continuous story that's been going for close to ten years now with more or less the same people. Oh wow, that's that's a considerable investment. It's a humongous. Do you play in um consecutive timelines? Like is the timeline long and 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 ongoing or do you play in the same era only different people in different places? Uh it's been a little bit of both. The first campaign we ran for it had a big historical era 
the follow-on campaigns for that, uh, one of them had a bit of overlap that kind of covered some of the last half of the important stuff they did and then bled into the uh, post-war history for that campaign. Ran some campaigns that uh, sort of highlighted some of the uh, aftershocks from events in different parts of the world and then set up the next part for uh, some of the larger events and eventually led to what was essentially the climax of the first major arc, which was essentially the first half of the entire story I had written. And the follow-ons are considerably more spaced out. They've been at spans of 100 or so years in between campaigns with mm. uh, the long-term ramifications of certain actions, but heading towards a final point that's been foreshadowed pretty much since the uh, first campaign, or at least much as one can foreshadow with the uh, randomness that is player characters. <laughs> <laughs> and also with like 10 years of uh, foresight. Definitely. Uh, the, the basic outline of the story has relatively held true with definitely changes and some things have become more or less prevalent than they would have been. And the largest change though being growing as a writer, storyteller, and orator and looking back at some of the old notes, then just going, I'm not entirely sure what I was writing here, what I was thinking, and how I ever thought something this sophomore was a good idea. But I remember having fun at the time, so it couldn't sure. have been that bad. I'm just glad that's not us anymore. I hear you there, man. I have been going through, I've been kind of like sifting through the ashes of my own role-playing experiences and um, doing a little bit of writing about that. And uh, I find myself wincing internally quite a bit. Just a lot of really bad cliches and stuff that I would never allow at my table now. You know, cliches are a tricky subject. I've actually started a writing an article dealing with a lot of cliches and tropes. But I think they have their place. The trick is playing the cliché to a, a new tune. You have to do something interesting with it. Find the familiar trope because we are we're brought in by something familiar. We have mm -hmm. this connection. There's a reason fantasy has so many common threads, whether that's the races, the magic, or what have you. But there's definite things that are consistent from game to game. But it's finding that cliche and then making it good. You can mm -hmm. make anything good. You just have to apply either a little bit of creativity or maybe a little bit of maturity and modernization to it. I see exactly what you're saying. I see exactly what you're saying. Um, so... What is it you've been doing at the gaming table recently? What have you, what have you, what have you been entertaining your friends and yourself with? Uh, well, um, as I'm fond of saying to sum that up, I'm pretending to be an undead wizard and uh, trying to murder my friends in a rousing game of Pathfinder. This campaign has definitely been a different one. It's much more tropic, as I would explain this, uh, going along with what I said earlier. I'm taking a lot of the very cliche tropes I never use in D&D, like the, the undead lich raising uh, an army, uh, that sort of thing, and I'm doing that entirely this time, but giving it my own twist for, uh, well, just so I don't go crazy doing something that simple. <laughs> uh, <not laughs> well, that sounds anything. fun. Yeah. That sounds fun. Uh, and how often do you guys meet? Usually weekly. Yeah, and you have, uh, my, my understanding is you have a huge table, right? I have entirely too large of a table. Uh, at max capacity, it's at seven players, which for Pathfinder is one of the worst ideas imaginable. Because uh, they're very yeah. high level, am I right? Yeah, they actually just hit 17. And you have how many? Seven? Seven uh, 17? Attendance has lately been uh, around five on average, but yeah, max capacity, 17 people at seven, and next week I'll be at eight, actually, because we have a friend in town, so that's going to, we'll get nothing done. H how long are your sessions? We usually play for about a good eight hours, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending. Oh, man. I remember those days of the eight-hour sessions. I, I just can't do that anymore. I don't have the, I don't have the, the, the stones. I don't have the, the grit. It just grit. can be really stressful, you know, like especially on the storyteller or whoever. Like, I, you, you've got some stamina, buddy. You do. There is definitely a degree of needing to get yourself psyched up for it. Uh, <laughs> I spend plenty of time in my car monologuing to myself to make sure that getting in character is not a problem. Uh, unlike most people, I don't go with the uh, caffeine route because that when mm. I was doing that to stay strong at halfway through the session, you drop off. So just power through. But yeah, yeah it is a stamina effort. Yeah, that's I mean, it sounds like you put in a lot of pregame work. Definitely. What's your pregame ritual kind of like? Uh, it does depend on the day, but uh, ideally... Um, 
breakfast is important. Breakfast <laughs> is very important. Have to have a, a happy mind in the beginning of the day. I'll usually start going through the notes and stuff I had for the session, make any last minute changes, edits, corrections uh, that I need to do, make sure I have uh, everything right. I make an outline just so I know what I need to do that I don't get lost in the chaos of seven characters attempting to do stuff. Uh, and then music, loud music that is fitting to the session, usually mm-hmm. something very uh, uh, thematic, two steps from hell, things like that, something very oh. soundtrack-ish. So, okay, so uh, you use scores, or do you use songs with lyrics? Scores, usually. Sometimes yeah. lyrics, but usually songs, or uh, scores, rather. Nice, nice, nice. I'm, I'm of the same, I'm of the same, same breed. I, I, I like my scores. It's uh, scores are good for uh, focusing the attention when you don't, uh, or as I've usually put it to people, I don't use words when I don't want to accidentally tell somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel you 100%. So it's come to my attention that you have a special project that you're working on. You, 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 you strike me as like a hardcore, like game master's game master. You, you, I mean, how many, how many hours would you say you put in per week? On your game. How many hours you put I in? I typically tell people it's a part-time job, which yeah. that is correct, somewhere at about 20 hours a week of uh, prep on average. Yeah. You see, I used to do that. I used to do that. And I'd tell people that, and they'd look at me like, I kind of like, come on, really? But you get it. You get it. I get it that entirely. Th- that thing where you're saying you monologue in the car, I used to do that too, where it's like, I would run through all the scenarios in my head, and I'd run through them a couple different ways, like if they do this, and if they do this, and if they do that. And uh, it never goes that way. Never goes that way, but at least <laughs> it gives you the perspective of having run that NPC in your head three times through the simulation already, so you understand intuitively what that guy is going to do. It's uh, getting yourself in the dynamic mindset. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's incredibly time consuming. It's incredibly work intensive. I don't. I just don't have the time for it anymore. It, it pains me because I miss doing highly immersive role playing. Yeah, it's uh, something recently I hadn't had time for, but I'm hitting a dry spell, so I've got a chance to, well, get my game back up to the level it should be at the moment. Ah. Uh. I, dude, I love your ethos. I love your ethos. It's so hardcore. It's so challenging. It makes me just want to just, <laughs> just like grab a dagger and like st- stab myself in the heart and like go to role playing Valhalla. Sound like, like young Brendan almost. Dude. Like, I remember this. <laughs> dude. I remember. Th- I remember similar words coming out of your mouth. Yeah, it's it's true. Oh, it's uh, gaming, especially uh, role play gaming, more so even than any of the other tabletop uh, pursuits. It is a lifestyle choice. If I have seven people who are taking the time out of their lives on a Saturday, usually no less, to come over to my house, I better damn well be a hell of a host for them and keep make sure they are as entertained as I am. Absolutely. So I should put in the work because they're putting in the time as well. And now, one of the things I always thought about this massive, this staggering amount of time that I was putting into these games is I always felt like I was kind of losing all of this time because I would tell the story and maybe five people would hear it and maybe, you know, four of them would appreciate it and maybe three of them would remember it and 10 years from now, maybe one of them wouldn't be able to remember it. And I thought, oh, it's, it's, it's I'm putting in so much work and then it's, it's, it's like reverse, a reverse iceberg. I put in so much work and then what's the payoff? But you are taking some of that and you're attempting to transition into design. Am I right? That is correct. Uh, like you said, uh, I've put all this time in and what am I getting out of it other than you know all the fond memories and drinking stories of <laughs> so there I was facing an orcord. Exactly, um, because on some level, there's this weird dichotomy of it feels like it actually happened, but it didn't happen. As somebody who has been in real-life combat situations, let me say that some of my fantasy combats have seemed even more vivid and realistic than actual warfare. Wow. It's You remember things how you choose, and uh, I definitely have a better picture of some of those fantastic events than I do real ones. Not sure what that says about uh, the state of mental health or my priorities, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy with it. So tell us about what you're designing, man. I want to hear all about this. All right. Uh, the project currently is a uh, monster manual, uh, which is ideally going to be uh, released for several projects, or uh, not projects, uh, products, games. Uh, it's mostly a culmination of creatures that have been made over the however many years of gaming plus a substantial number of ones that have been uh, created new uh working with a phenomenal artist friend of mine chris mendoza that i've known for a while uh but 
originally I was uh, making it for Pathfinder, and we decided we want to try to get it elsewhere. So at the very least, looking to uh, release it for Savage Worlds and 5th Edition D&D as well, and then find out what the interest is and viability for other systems, depending upon things like the current game licenses. But the nature of the product... A lot of the books haven't been great across most of the companies lately in the category of art. It's definitely something... You don't something think so? Some of them have, and uh, like I'll say, uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, for their 5th edition release, they humongously stepped up their art game. Uh, Paizo with Pathfinder, within about the past two years, they have stepped up their game as well. A lot of that comes to they had a uh, shift in the art director, was probably part of it, and more importantly, they're making enough money where they can afford artists that are worth the time. I felt like they had a very high uh, uh, art direction regime early on. I mean, I haven't played Paizo in quite a while. I ha- I'm starting to rebuild my collection, but I have very fond memories of its I, art standard. I thought I did. It... My memory did not match up to the truth of it, because if you happen to have a Pathfinder bestiary over there, the first one, and uh, open it to everybody's favorite creature, the extremely overrated Tarrasque, Mm. look at how amazing that creature is supposed to be in the context of the power in the game, and then look at the illustration and ask yourself, why did they let a nine-year-old draw this and put it in the book? (laughs) Oh, Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh, But the artist I have working is phenomenal and we want to go back to a lot of the uh high quality art the full page spreads for anybody that's familiar with the uh, second edition books from D&D when you opened it up and yeah you had a lot of very simple artwork but you also had those wonderful full page color spreads that were yeah. basically paintings and we want to take that same quality and bring it back we don't want to compromise how the book looks just to make it cheaper to print. This is something we're both doing as a labor of love, so we really don't care if we're taking something less on the bottom line because it will hopefully make the players using it better. I know there are creatures I've used in campaigns based entire stories around just because I thought that is the coolest illustration ever, and I want somebody to be able to look at the book and have that same feeling and connection. To me, it's Hobgoblins. I've always looked at hobgoblins and thought, oh, shit, I just want to run a crazy campaign that's just about uh, the characters interacting with hobgoblin antagonists. I think you can add a couple more races to that because I think you've had similar thoughts about, like, illithids. Yeah. And uh, yeah. let's see, what else? As a Lovecraft fan, definitely yeah. the illithid. I well, and then, and then some of the some of the older pictures of the illithids were quite evocative anyway, so... They were some really good ones. Yeah, those are great, but they're such high-level creatures that it's difficult to get them in early on. So you end up having to interact with this other stuff, and then there's all the Underdark, and we all know how the Underdark shit goes. <laughs> that is its own entire thing. Yeah. If you're not basing a campaign around it, you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I tried basing a campaign around it earlier this year, but I, I was I was knocking the rust off. I was knocking the rust off. I feel like I'm in a much better spot as a storyteller right now. I feel like you also disliked that game more than any of your players did. Yeah, that's true. I get that. (laughs) I understand that entirely. But like any other art form, the storyteller is going to be their ultimate critic. I mean, I just wasn't having fun. Anyway, we 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 we've we've rehashed that that um that that, that, that a million times. So, um, what is the sort of creative genesis of where it is that you're coming from with your monster manual? So, I mean. What is, does it look like? What's it going to feel like? Is there a visual reference that you can give us? Like, what inspired this series of monsters? How has it affected your stories? Yeah, also, uh, I'm curious, just having heard this, is are these reimagined monsters? Are these, like, like fully imagined monsters or reimagined older monsters that you're doing wonderful pictures for? Yeah, so that's, like, 16 questions. Answer them all. Yeah. Okay. In order. Um, I'll answer them all at once. Okay. All right, go. <laughs> uh As for the content, it is all, and uh, to the viewers who cannot see me, totally original artwork. I just made air quotes. As far as I know, all of these are completely original monsters, but as anybody who does anything artistic in the least will tell you, I have blatantly stolen something from somewhere. It has just gotten to the point where I don't remember what it is I'm stealing this from. There is something in the back of the subconscious that remembers this image, and so I'm sure I have ripped something off horribly. So eventually, somewhere about a year or so down the line, we'll release a book. Whoever you were, please don't sue me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Uh, as for uh, the inspiration, 
uh, like any other source of inspiration, it's going to come from all over. I spend a lot of time uh, looking at other arts just to feed the mind, reading, etc. But the general idea with the book is a lot of it falls into the uh, kind of weird category. Yeah. I'm okay. a big fan of monsters that are monsters, not necessarily villains and antagonists, but something that definitely feels like a creature that is not normal within the world. Something that, whether you're going to fight it or not, it's definitely the aberrant part of the world and not part of polite society. Uh, a lot of the other creature books that have come out, and they have their reasons because of the game systems they go with, but you usually get a handful, you know, quarter of the book or so, that's full of very specific niche races and creatures you will never use just because <laughs> they are relevant to the setting that they're coming from. And a lot of what I'm doing, I want to make it that these are creatures that anybody running a game can take and find a way to use without having to have something too terribly lore-specific and they can fit it in. I think that a lot of um, contemporary role-playing games have overemphasized monstrous races to the point that the fantastical has become banal. I agree entirely, and that's a large part of why this is going on. Ben, you were going to say? I just, I, I, I don't know. I think that uh, it, to me, it all sort of ports back to to Eberron and what sort of happened with the Genesis and Eberron, mm, where all of the sort of like all of these sort of like. Uh, monstrous races were sort of brought together to sort of like coexist together. That's true. Outside of like, you know, in, in like a society, you know. Shifters and changelings. Hobgoblins and orcs and full-blooded orcs and, you know, whatever else. They all can exist together in a, in a city in Eberron. And, and uh, you know, even players can play some of them. It's true. I think orcs get a bad rap personally. They're one of my favorite races. Sure, sure. And I, I happen to have a soft spot for, for like bugbears, but like, you know. It's just one of those weird things. And I, I remember playing a blood bugbear in a Eberron game years you, ago. You did do that. So, and I played his twin brother too. <laughs> <laughs> convenient character death, convenient twin coming back to replace him. Exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, exactly. I, that happens. I just pictured Jean-Claude Van Damme in one of those movies where he played his twin <laughs> and it was all good. You mean all the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, right? <laughs> pretty much. They do all pretty much end up the same. <laughs> Anyway. No, I see what you're saying about Eberron, and I loved Eberron. I was an unabashed Eberron fanatic when it first came out, and I don't know how I feel about it now. It's kind of interesting that they haven't, that Wizards hasn't tried to make a run with it. They've kind of had it off to the side as sort of like a weak sister step pr property, in the way that they have they've treated Dark Sun and and uh, many other properties, Dragonlance. It's interesting you bring up Dark Sun because to me it always felt like Eberron wanted to be Dark Sun but couldn't quite make the cut because Dark Sun, even though it did some of the things I hate most with the approach to, uh, again, air quotes, audience, uh, originality with uh, races and creatures, it was still great. They took the, let's take an elf and make it interesting, so let's make it something completely different than what anybody would ever call an elf other than the fact it still has pointy ears. Yeah. But the point of Dark Sun wasn't, the originality wasn't the fact that we're taking these races. It wasn't, you can't look at it from the perspective of uh, changing fantasy races, but rather taking the post-apocalyptic setting, which is one of my favorites, and changing it from a dystopian future to a fantasy setting. And in that regard, it was extremely successful. So I can forgive the kind of weird cannibal halflings because <laughs> they made a good apocalyptic fantasy, which when you have a game with wizards and gods that can you know destroy planets, it's, it's kind of a hard one to make the end of the world seem like it was significant. It's sort of interesting to me because as a, as a, I, I always was, was a big fan of dark sun. And uh, I don't think I've ever drawn that comparison dark sun to Eberron. That's uh that to me that's kind of like a a, a leap that I'd never never even thought of honestly. Might be a little bit of a step overstep on my part, but no, I mean uh, I can see where you're coming from. So I can too. I take your point. Yeah, I just I just never thought about it that way before. Um, what what I will say too when you're talking about like the fantastical become banal, that's sort of like what Ebron kind of did all over the place. You know, it was With like the magic items. Well, yeah, magic everything items are everywhere. Was like, yeah, and like anything that was like. You know, fantastical in fantasy settings, Eberron did to like the nth level. You know, yeah, it's true. Um, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. 
Uh, I think Ebron was a large part of the power creep that you see in a lot of the current incarnations of the uh, Dungeons and Dragons style games, where magic is so commonplace. I can remember, and let me have my old man moment here, playing second edition Dungeons and Dragons when I got that plus two bastard sword. <laughs> oh, I felt like a badass. Yeah, yeah. Now, if it's not at least plus five with flaming shock, frost, keen, something on there, then eh, just throw it in the pile with the rest <laughs> of them we have. Yeah, we'll sell it. It's, we'll sell it later for gold. Yeah. I need, I need that gold for some other like crazy thing that I'm building. Exactly, and it's going to be different from uh, campaign to campaign, especially for anybody that runs homebrew, but the core rules don't do anything to make magic feel like it's actually special anymore. That's why I like the OSR stuff. The OSR stuff really makes you grind for your magic. I mean, it makes you just crawl through broken glass and shit in order to get a spell, you know? It, it, it makes you cherish that plus one sword. That plus one sword's amazing. You're never going to get anything better than that. Yeah, uh, I play Savage Worlds as well as my other go-to tabletop, and uh, that's a little bit different because of how diverse Savage Worlds is, but with how important equipment is in that game, it brings back a lot of the OSR memories, especially with how fragile characters can be in Savage Worlds. Mm. The power curve is very linear, and so much of what you do comes down to your gear. When I run that, I run it very old-school style. If they're going to get a plus one, you know, something, whatever, it... uh, they're going to have to crawl through that glass and shit and piss, and at the end of that, probably still have somebody in the party die yeah. just to get a magic weapon. You gotta pay in pain to get your stuff. Yep. Now, the player fragility in OSR has proven to be a tough selling point to a new generation because people don't, people like to have very resilient characters. I think there's a, a pushback against that sense of grinding your character and building it and playing in a really canny and shrewd way. People have, have, have moved away from that. People are so used to, oh, my character's got damage reduction and regeneration and I'm so hard to hit because I'm wearing full plate armor at first level and all this crap. So people, when you're playing an OSR game, even if you go back to second edition, people see those random deaths and they just freak out. They're like, they're like oh my god, what have you done to me? I came here to play and have fun. I'm like, we are having fun. I definitely like. I know fell victim to that a little bit in that game. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like uh, there there definitely was a time where I had to roll a twenty five percent chance to live in that game, and I yeah. was like, "What the? Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd forgotten what it was like to do that. I, honestly, I can definitely understand the shift away from it as somebody who's played OSR and uh, can say a lot of the current trends in gaming comes down to the video game and MMO aspect leeching in. Yeah, I agree. I can say I would never go back to a true OSR game for the exact same reason I won't go back to an MMO. I don't want to take that much time suffering for such little reward. <laughs> when I was 15, 16, cool, I could still spend that time, but now, you know, double that age later, it's I just can't put that much investment in to go, eh, well, I fell in the spike pit. Time for a new character. I see what you're saying. It, I feel as though OSR might be, and there's some listeners who are big OSR guys, and I hope they don't crucify me for this, but I feel that OSR might be a little bit of an overcorrection because while 5th, I feel, is just a love letter to the players where the the um, GM is just a big big fluffy guy who's who's handing out treasure and, and, and handing out orcs to be killed. OSR it flips it around and the GM becomes the nightmarish overlord and you're just, just paper men. To, to sort of borrow an analogy, if you will, you're just talking about like video games. Like OSR reminds me of those old school like Nintendo games that were like super hard. Yeah. And you like worked so hard to get to like level like whatever and then your character dies and it's all over. You gotta start over at level one. Level one dash one. Yep. That's (laughs) there was no save game feature back then. No save game. No save game. Metroid. Oh man. But now people want respawn points everywhere. In a lot of ways, though, I'm okay with how vicious OSR is, and given the way I run even my current Pathfinder. I will say the tactics make the difference. Players can still die plenty, and that's usually because they do something stupid. It rarely ever, in my games at least, comes down to uh, those bad luck rolls. It's poor tactical decisions. And I remember back in you know the old school second edition, and uh, even some of the OSR I've uh, played with a little bit uh, recently, if you play smart, you are very likely to 
oh, at the very least, not be the person in the party that dies. It's rewards not just running in. You can't just take the, oh, well, uh, I'm obviously supposed to fight these creatures because they're right in front of me, so that means they must be the same level as me. I can run in. There's the non-linear dungeon designs. You can find different ways to go in, and sometimes that monster is just there to keep people out, and you should respect that fact. Amen to that, brother. I had a really long conversation with a guy once about this design principle, and he didn't see it my way, but that's a story for a different time. Tell us more about your campaign setting and your and, and, and your project, because I feel like we've gotten off track. Tell, tell us more about this. I want to hear, like, how does your, um, what does your campaign setting feel like? Uh, that is a tough one. I have spent so much time on it. It's evolved so much over the years, and I've, uh, indirectly borrowed, directly stolen from, and then changed dimensionally to make it not be obvious I stole it, that I don't even know where the comparison is. If I had to give one overarching trend between it all, though, I would say uh, ethical and moral ambiguity. I hate the alignment system, and I'm a large fan of uh, doing bad things for good reasons, and sometimes the chaotic good paladin can be the bad guy without your party just being murder hobos and evil. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you use the alignment system? Sort of. My players do not choose their alignment. I inform them you can attempt to play an alignment, and I'll encourage that, uh, but whatever alignment you are is going to be what I decide you are based on your actions, because I've had that character playing the lawful good paladin, and all they do is run around trying to rob shopkeeps and murder things indiscriminately so i use the alignment system if i need to and that's usually only because this spell specifies it affects creatures of this alignment otherwise brilliant i really like that it's not something i deal with because much like the real world we are all imperfect and anybody who is a generally speaking good person can still have a bad day or you can still be a very generous person and also be a complete asshole that doesn't make you an evil person it just gives you poor social skills have have you ever ripped a paladin or a cleric's ability to use their their powers and just said no sorry fool because you thought you were good but I've been making notes, and you're yeah, actually evil, and your I, god doesn't give a shit anymore. I have done that to paladins. I have done that to other classes that have those same sort of constraints. Had uh, somebody playing one of the uh, warlocks, I think it was, with the patrons, and they have their code they're supposed to abide by. Sorry, your warlock no longer can use any of his magic powers because you didn't do what your patron said you're supposed to. If people are going to play something, I will allow almost anything, sort of. Uh, but you better play what you say you're going to if you say it has this code, it must be this alignment. So what happened when you when you ripped their ability set? Uh, most did, they, situations, did they freak out? Did they freak out? Most of my players, it hasn't been an issue. They're very understanding, and a lot of the time, I warn them. I will take that courtesy to out of game, let them know this has been going on. Maybe you just got caught up in the moment. Again, we're all human. Uh, so there's that fallibility. I'll let him know. You need to shift your direction. I have had at least one player totally freak out because <laughs> he did the exact opposite. His character is supposed to be a very uh, maintain the balance, uh, the walk the middle path, a uh, very Buddhist sort of ideology. And he almost got a country overthrown because he didn't like one guy in that country. <laughs> he just, generally speaking, was a terrible human being and did the exact opposite of maintaining balance. And uh, it would have been worse if it weren't for the fact the party eventually killed him anyway because he got <laughs> attacked by a solar. So uh, they actually handled it before I did, but he was not happy, to say the least. So, uh, do- was the player did, did did the player say that's it I'm out of here I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play more give me my powers back or were you able to work it out did he this is uh, every group has him and this is my problem player so ah uh, that's... okay okay do you still have this guy oh he's he's still there he's been a long term friend and as long as we're not at the gaming table it isn't an issue but there's something about uh, having dice in front of us that just suddenly <laughs> turns it into an adversarial relationship uh but does he go by initials. <laughs> I'll leave that one out of here for now. Fair but, enough. Uh, Fair enough. 
Um, I, I, I understand. I understand. Wink. Um, <laughs> so tell us more. Uh, I keep interrupting you. I'm not I'm even sorry, sure man. where I was. Well, I think we call it having a conversation, Brendan. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember where I was going. What What question should I answer? What's What's uh, speaking to you, Ben? I I was actually early on. You know, you said you'd been doing this for ten years with mostly the same people. Um, to me, that's pretty impressive. Ten years gaming with like the same group. Uh, clearly, you got something that's bringing everybody back to the table. You know, for especially for eight hours, fifty-two weeks a year. Yeah. How many? How many yeah. weeks? How many weeks do you play a year? Uh, I would say probably about two-thirds of the year in between campaigns or at certain times of the year, vacation time, whatever. We'll usually take a break uh, in between major uh, campaigns. Uh, it's like we've done side campaigns that are totally optional. If people want to show up, and those are usually smaller sessions. But uh, yeah, I'd say about two-thirds of the year probably we're meeting once a week. What kind of uh, player turnover have you had? Very little recently. Any of the major turnover I've had has been because of things like, um, well, uh, in the army, that was definitely one thing. It's, uh, well, you're going to Italy here, and I'm staying in Alaska, so sure. that was a problem. But as far as uh, turnover because of, uh, sorry, we don't want you here, uh, maybe three players over uh, the 10 years. It's been very minor, but I'm... That's not bad at all. No. I'm a little picky about uh, the people that come in, uh, but... Uh, What's your vetting process? How do you, do, how do you vet people? Typically, uh, well, in the past I didn't, and I learned that lesson, so now... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah man. Somebody has to at least observe a session of what we're doing if they are completely unfamiliar with the gaming system, and even if they aren't, they're still going to have to observe because... Every table runs differently. I want you to see how I run a game so you know that this is what I run. Two d games of Dungeons & Dragons can be... They may as well be the different uh, systems entirely if just based on how uh, that game goes. So they watch the game, they uh, get to know the players, and more importantly, if I can't hang out with you outside of the game, I don't want you in the game because I'm here to as I said, pretend to be a undead wizard and murder my friends, friends being a key word in that statement. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Huh, that's interesting. So so you're still pretty good friends with everybody that you play with. Yeah. You hang out with them outside, do all sorts of other... Uh, hang out with them outside, uh, and the ones that uh, are no longer uh, here, I still, thanks to the wonders of social media, internet, and cell phones, I still keep in pretty good contact with. And a lot of those reminiscing conversations still go back to remember that dragon we fought. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I like that. So when did you come to the conclusion you wanted to turn this into a um, uh, a creative venture that was going to be published and released to the world? Uh, I don't think there was a solid moment where it was, I should sell this. And it's not so much the, I should sell this and you know make uh, money off of this as much as it is... Uh, I like telling my story, and while I may not be telling this story, I can at least give some of the pieces of that story to facilitate somebody else telling their own story. So it was, I think, really just going through a lot of my notes uh, from, that was probably about six months ago, sifting through the sheer volume of custom material I've made over the years, a lot of which is absolutely garbage, I won't lie about that, but just with minimal effort, this would be ready to go as far as game mechanics are concerned, it just needs to be probably playtested for balance and then get some decent artwork on there. And it shifted into full gear. Uh, that friend I mentioned, Christopher Mendoza, uh, he, uh, we reconnected recently and it turns out he would like to get a job at working as a fantasy illustrator and heard about what I was doing. So it went from kind of a side project to the focus of both of our attention full time until we get this thing cranked out. Nice. And uh, what platform are you planning on raising the funds for this? Uh, probably going to do a Kickstarter because that's what we do with everything in the gaming industry now. But Kickstarter has been bonkers lately, man. One of the, the only reason we need it to run a Kickstarter is because we want to do a full print release. The online digital format, ebook, PDF, whatever you want, that is going to happen no matter what, one way or another, and we will sell it online. But like I said, the art is a huge focus of this. So we want somebody to be able to pick this up and be able to appreciate it as much as an art book as it is for cool monsters to kill your friends with. So it's we're going to push for that uh, release. So Kickstarter to uh, get it going. And if that doesn't work, 
it'll just push it back a little bit and I'll pay for it one way or another. Have you investigated how Kickstarter works? I have, yes. And what have you found? That it's surprisingly not difficult, actually, and there's really? an amazingly low level of uh, responsibility for the people starting a Kickstarter. Uh, that said, there's it's not a, well, just start it on the webpage and then the money falls in your pocket. Like, right. It's, like anything else, marketing, marketing, marketing. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean... We, we were just talking about a project today. We were shocked only had like 200 supporters, right? Yeah, man. Have you looked at uh, Mark Reinhagen's latest one, uh, I Am Zombie Toxicity? Yes, I saw that uh, because of my recent sojourn into the terrifying world of Twitter. I saw somebody link that, took a look at it, and I, like you guys, was amazed that it did not have more support. I can't yeah. believe it. I mean, it's, he and I both pledged it, and I'm yeah. I'm stunned. I was like, I thought for sure this would be like blowing up. It's yeah, a, it, the game sounds great. I'm I'm active in a lot of places uh, for gaming, whether that's uh, forums all over Reddit, uh, the vast sure. number of people I know that get into different parts of gaming than I am, and we exchange information, and I'd heard nothing about it, and I was shocked. There's, there's actually a, a Facebook group that's actually quite good at uh, promoting Kickstarters for... Uh, a little for, too good. Well, yeah. I would definitely say that when your Kickstarter is ready to go, you need to definitely be in that group. Um, and you, know, you get, get your Kickstarter plugged. Because Toxicity was plugged the day it came out, I think. Um, multiple games have been plugged the day it came out. Um, I follow a bunch of the White Wolfers on Facebook. And they were all pushing it for a little bit before the Kickstarter launched. And so it launched and it funded real quick. And I just assumed, oh, yeah, it's got a million... A million billion backers, and then I looked at it. It's two hundred and two. It was two hundred and two on Sunday or or Saturday or something. I looked at it when you told me. And so I no, it was up to two hundred six. Two hundred six. And so I did a blast on the FMRPG Facebook, and I was like, "Dudes, you got seriously? Is no one buying this thing? This is gonna be a fucking rad game, and there's gonna be two hundred people on the planet that own it. Give me a break, you know." And I I don't know that that's moved the needle at all. I mean, obviously not. But yeah. Maybe so. Hey, if you're listening to this, you may go get your ass over to Kickstarter and take a look at that thing. I'm a I'm a whore for that Kickstarter shit, though. I I buy so much of the. So I'm much a Kickstarter stuff. slut. I'm not afraid to say it, and I love what it allows artists to do now. It's getting third party products out there with the same degree of legitimacy that previously was exclusive to publishers has been amazing for the creativity in the industry because there are so many talented people out there that just don't happen to work at one of the big-name companies. Amen, brother. Amen to that. I, I I feel bad that I haven't been spending as much money at my brick-and-mortar favorite stores as I usually would have been because the Kickstarters have been taking a Pac-Man-sized bite out of my budget. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm allowing games to exist in the world that wouldn't exist otherwise and that's great because i want the i want these games to exist all of these old games from back in the 80s when i was a little kid and you'd open up dragon magazine it was full of full color splash page advertisements every few pages for some weird role-playing game with some weird idea and they, they don't exist anymore but they're all coming back and thank god man i can't i hear i heard somebody's trying to relaunch torg like Torg has people working on it. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll get a Torg book. Anyway, I haven't heard that name in a while. I, I know, right? When I heard they were bringing back BattleTech, BattleTech again. Are they? Are they? Yep. Again, again. Again, again. Which is actually, <laughs> I think, the second time in 15 years. But I'm a BattleTech whore, so I'm gonna get it anyway. I, I hear uh, Cyberpunk's coming back. Um, so I didn't much. Know Cyberpunk ever went away. Well, you mean Cyberpunk 2020? You oh, know? I, I, the, I the was arch- thinking genre-wise. Cause no, I was no. Thinking I'd oh no, there's, I l- there's like seems like there's multiple like Cyberpunk Kickstarters coming up and going down and. Yeah, as a genre, there's plenty of stuff out there, but the Artalsorian Games one had that weird kind of blip of its strange third edition, and then it just vanished. Yeah, I was more of a Shadowrun guy, and then I stopped being a Shadowrun guy because too many D6, way too many D6. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you're currently playing Pathfinder, uh, you're running Pathfinder. You have a lot of Dungeons and Dragons experience. What other games have you have a lot of experience in? Uh, are we referring RPG specifically? Yeah, yeah RPG oh, specifically, Zeph's. definitely. Zeph's, well, yeah. every version of Dungeons and Dragons since second. Uh, 
Savage Worlds, probably second up there, though that's been within the past several years. I've tried just about everything, ranging from Mech Warrior to the various White Wolf products. Never quite stuck with them. I will blame that more on the groups I played within the systems themselves. There's a lot that I really liked with them, and I think I was alienated at a age when I was too young to drink the distinction between the bad groups I was in versus the system itself. You mean the alienation you felt was from White Wolf groups or from the just other, these oh, other systems? Oh, all over any number of games. I will definitely say the group I played with is the reason I stopped playing Shadowrun, even though there were too many D6s, I stand by that. But uh, <laughs> the White Wolf groups I was in were not great. Uh, best one I was in was uh, about a six-session run of uh, Werewolf, which was kind of cool at first, except just nothing ever happened. Uh, I had a really good run of... Uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter of the Reckoning, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved Hunter of the Reckoning. I loved being that squishy little guy on the fringes in the world of darkness where just my frailty is amazing and I'm basically only living. It was a bit more of a traditional kind of let's go kill the monsters game, but I enjoyed the fact that that game made you totally outclassed compared to everything else going on in that universe. Were you outclassed? As I thought that Hunter the Reckoning was full of all kinds of like supernatural crap to even you uh, out. There was uh, the, the uh, runes or wardings or something you could do. Yeah. It's been a minute. I don't remember all of it, but I just remember if we ever actually got in a fight. We got in an ambush all the time, but if we got in a fight, I'll shoot somebody in the knee and run. Hmm. Well, that sounds. Like I, I could have just had a very vicious uh, storyteller. That's, but that's the best it. thing I've ever heard about Hunter the. When you say shoot somebody, you mean shoot shoot one of your party members in the knee. So yeah, he's the one that gets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there was a game in there that I wanted to talk about. Wait, what, which one was it? I have no notion. You got what a you were zero was in here somehow. Yeah, dude. I'm sorry. I just worked out, and I'm like, my brain is like misfiring, kind of. Shadowrun. I'm, I'm having one of those like weird, like low sugar moments. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'll try any any tabletop RPG. Doesn't matter. Done the uh, sword and sword and sorcery recently, which was interesting as a variation of the rule set. The the three point five one. Uh, is that three five? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the sword yeah, and sorcery brand kind yeah. of line. Yeah. Uh, there was a adventure path I picked up to support a uh, individual. I'm uh like their work uh monkey blood designs if you want to check them out they mostly do maps they release their own uh adventure totally self-published the whole way through uh bought it just to support them and thought this actually looks cool so i gave that a try uh i i go back to my comfortable spot with dungeons and dragons but uh i'll i'll go anywhere i remember what i was going to ask you and it is this you seem you seem to come back to savage worlds a lot now tell me how do you feel about rifts and how do you feel about Savage Worlds Rifts, which is... Rifts was quite possibly my first um, love affair in the gaming industry. That was what got me away from second edition for a while, so... All about juicers, right? Uh, I, I need that glitter boy in my life. You're, saying you're, <laughs> um, you're a glitter boy guy, but, huh? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I don't like admitting that, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking very forward to it. I'm... I love Savage Worlds. I love Rifts. So this is amazing. What would what would you do with what you do with Rifts? Like when you when you were playing, did you collect all the books? Did you what was your did you run that or did you just play? I played in that. One of my friends had every book ever, and for Rifts, I'm not exaggerating. He had every book ever, and that's a lot of books. That is too many books. There's, aren't there two index books? There's like just just books that are indexes. For other books. It took up more space on his bookshelf than the Encyclopedia Britannica set he had, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, I don't know how many there were, but there were a lot. And I don't remember much because the game was ridiculous. I remember <laughs> Mecha Magic, somebody shot a god in the head, there was a sun god something. It was a long time ago, and I don't remember it more because it was ridiculous and fun, not because it was forgettable. So it was it was it was just Gonzo bonkers. Yeah, uh, we were too young to have anything resembling a uh, decent storyline at the time, but it was fun, which is what I mean, mattered. It's definitely yeah. a setting where you do a lot of Gonzo stuff with. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's sort of like everything and anything and everything all at once. And do you think that there's a serious game in Rifts? Do you think you can sit down and run Rifts as a 
a story with a narrative and with characters and with consequence? Or do you think it's better just to be like like the Dukes of Hazard with fantasy and sci-fi in it? I think you can run anything with a meaningful story, emotional connection, and whatever degrees of subtlety and story you want. But I think if I'm playing riffs, I want to Dukes of Hazard in some sort of giant mecha with somebody <laughs> shooting off spells behind me or whatever weird mishmash we have going on. And especially with the Savage World system, because the thing I love about that is it's quick. It's yeah. very quick. It's an action-based game, and it uh, it moves. Yeah, it's real fast, isn't it? How do you? What do you think they're gonna do? Do you have any like prognostications about about how you how you think they're gonna work that? Because just to me, the way that Rifts is focused so so laser-like on the occupational character class, and Savage Worlds is about building your characters, about cobbling it together. Yeah, uh, I actually don't remember a lot about the class systems in Rifts. I'll admit that right now, because uh, it has been close to 18 years. Oh, do you remember? It was like those little two columns of, of really tight-knit font with like underlined stuff and everything's all in percentages and these huge lists of skills that you got because you were in the classes. Oh, yeah. and it's, the, I'm starting to see it, and I think I'm getting a headache trying to remember it, but uh, <laughs> I, I vaguely recall some sort of arduous trek through a book that required a magnifying glass, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as for how it'll work with Savage Worlds, I can definitely say expect it to be slimmed down, expect it to be much more streamlined, with Savage Worlds being a skill-based rather than level-based system. Uh, I'm assuming it'll be, no, just streamlined, much more streamlined, but Savage Worlds really shines in their campaign settings, any of their individual products. The core rules work, but they work incredibly well as soon as they are, uh, campaign world or product specific. And I think, well, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but all I can say is that the crew at Savage Worlds is amazing and I have a hundred percent faith in him. Did you back the Kickstarter? I did. Yeah, at what level? Uh, one of the lower levels, just uh, low enough to get the uh, print book. Mm-hmm. That's what I did too, I believe. Oh, you actually, you actually, I bought, actually, I, it? I reconsidered and went up and backed it. So, I did. I went and backed it. Yeah, I honestly <laughs> doubt I'll ever <laughs> get a chance to do anything more than play one session of it just for fun when there's nothing else going on. But I, I'm going to support it because it's rifts and it's Savage Worlds and, uh, if nothing else, nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I th- those those. Pictures of the really chunky androids with the big guns. Just looking at those pictures really took me back. I I remember my first the first time I saw Rifts and um it was talking about how they had debuted it at Gen Con or something. This was a black and white advertisement they had in um Dragon Magazine. And they were like, We sold out in hours at Gen Con. I remember being a little kid and thinking, wow, this is going to be like the best game ever. This game is going to change everything <laughs> about role-playing. And um, it took me years to actually get my hands on some rifts. And when I did, you remember, I had a huge collection. Yep. I had a huge, monstrous collection for a while. And then I sold it all. Never played once. Never played. <laughs> we built characters. We just never played. Yeah, we never played. I remember building multiple juicers. Though I have to think, I have to think that we played <laughs> once. I played once, somewhere like, because I have this memory of playing a juicer somewhere else. Maybe we ran one session. Maybe, maybe. Were, weren't you like an undead juicer? Wasn't that your whole thing? I want to be the undead juicer. I Hell can't yeah. just be a juicer. I need to be the undead juicer. I don't see. I don't see uh, why that's a problem. Um, yeah, no, you never do. No, that sounds fucking awesome. yeah sounds so awesome god i can't wait you know what after you leave i'm just gonna start writing a new game just centered around that idea okay cool because uh when we get our copies of savage world riffs that's what i'll play yeah Yeah, undead juicer sounds awesome undead juicer brothers i'll play your twin (laughs) and then when you die you can take over my character and i'll roll there you go there you go you guys are incorrigible clearly (laughs) clearly yeah, I, I I reconsidered I reconsidered because I went on the spree where I just started like you bought a supporting. bunch of stuff, homie. Dude, I know I there was there was a period there where I like things that I had like not supported originally. I went back and resupported. So like like Savage World Rifts, The Veil. I went and supported um, that one that uh, uh, I, I saw on Facebook. I had supported already because I found it right when it came up on Kickstarter. The Stitchcore 
one. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I, too. I I supported that one too. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> you're, we'll you're, see what goes. You're gonna have an uh, incredible library of uh, third rail games there, man. When all of this uh, Kickstarter spending spree is done. <laughs> You'll have to separate them by which ones you've actually had time to play as well. Well, that'll be a really easy pile to make because it'll just be one pile <laughs> that haven't played and then and then this very tiny slender pile of actually got I mean, around I already, to it. I already have a bunch of books that I haven't played at this point, so, you know, whenever I'm what gonna, changes? Whenever I sit down to run a game, I always think to myself, oh, man, I'm going to run one of these games that I, just, just got, that, that I own but I haven't got a chance to run, like, oh, dude, Demon the Descent. Okay, this is a new World of Darkness, a Chronicles of Darkness game. It's a fantastic game. It is absolutely fantastic. It's written by Matt McFarland, and uh, I own all the supplements for it. It has a very narrow idea that is articulated perfectly. I would love to run this fucking thing, but then I start thinking, or should I run Vampire? And then it just always just comes back to vampire. It just always sometimes you just got to keep going back to the same mistress. Yeah, you know, you always you always go back to the one that treats you the best. I love. Uh, I have a giant pile of fading suns over there. That uh, I mean, that's that's as that's pretty close to a complete collection of fading suns. That's at least two thirds. I uh, haven't touched it. Haven't touched it because I'm writing a requiem game right now. You know. Oh man, Carcosa. I I still haven't run this thing. God, Urban I Shadows, know. I see up there God, too. I really want to run this. Well, Urban Shadows is you know, very is a, is a is a is biting on White Wolf kind of kind of hard in a certain sense. But but uh, some of this OSR stuff that I'd love to dig out never ends, man. Never ends. It's true. Well, like all addictions, it must be fed. No, it's true. It's true. And uh, I have to back off of feeding mine because I've been feeding it too hard. Between that and the Infinity models, I have. I have been on a bender. If we get into anything involving miniatures, that's a whole nother area <sighs> of spending too much money and time. Dude, I know. Miniatures are uh, just a sinkhole of time. Which, of course, by the way, screw you two guys for getting me into Infinity and making me spend more time and money on miniatures. Oh, yeah. Are you Thank actually you in? Uh, getting there. Getting getting there? Getting okay. There. Okay, good. I, wait, then I... I'm looking forward to you joining us. What 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 faction do you think you're? Uh, why can I not remember the name? It was the Space Scottish People. Oh yeah, uh, that's Pano, right? Yeah, yeah. Pano um, yeah. and Caledonian Highlanders, those guys. Yep. Uh, I don't know why there's th- something that just appealed. I basically went with the models I thought was were uh, the most interesting to paint, and really don't care at all about any of the tactics because I'll make it work. I just really want to paint those miniatures. You know, that's the way I approached it too. Is like I bought the models that I wanted. I was like, I want space ninjas. I'm getting some fucking space ninjas. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted the slender little alien guys and. That just means I'm gonna lose a lot of games, but oh well. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes, you, sometimes you just gotta, you, you just gotta take your knocks. At least you can lose games while looking good. It's <laughs> uh, miniatures gaming keeps me humble. It does because I always have to reevaluate how smart I am whenever I play because I just get my teeth kicked in constantly. Yeah, everyone needs that point. Um, I don't really believe in humility, but uh, go for it. <laughs> that's what gets you there. I think, I think that's it. one of the fundamental things about miniatures games. You always feel like you get your teeth kicked in. Whether it's playing or trying to paint, like like trying to paint straight little lines on models, that's where I feel like I get I always get my teeth kicked in, where nothing ever looks like I want it to look. Well, when I'm done with it. That's art. Art yeah, is like well, that. Yeah. You always, if 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 you're the kind of person who draws or creates visual art, then you can always close your eyes and see it perfectly. Or if you run role playing games, you probably can close your eyes and you can just see it like a movie, and then you open your mouth and the words start coming out. Or you just put the paper and the pencil together, and it's different. Anyone who creates, no matter what that is, is going to be their harshest critic. And getting past that is probably one of the most important things, no matter what creative pursuit you have. Just learn that it will never be perfect, but it can still be good enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, they say it's never done. You just it's never It's never finished. You just have to know when to stop. So... Well, fellas, we are approaching the end of our hour. Uh, anybody have any closing remarks? Any closing words? Uh, I'm kind of hungry. And that's about the only other thing to add. Dude, I'm feeling that. Uh, Randy, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. We really appreciate your insight, man. Uh, it's been very refreshing listening to you talk. I feel... I'd love to have you on again at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would love to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm usually more than happy to make other people listen to sound my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's the GM's disease. It, it really is. We need it. 
All right. Well, uh, uh, listeners, thank you so much for stopping by. It's another episode of Full Metal RPG. Signing off. Uh, you guys have a great night. Take care. Uh, yes.